2: notebook wagering tuesday night college basketball edition i am city smitty sitting across from me is j cam how you doing j pretty
0: good looks like we're delving into another sport as if we needed another one on the menu here i'm just going to gamble on everything
2: hey like i said you know our first hoop show of the season so you know what we got to do we got to bring on the man the myth the legend from reason greg peterson how you doing greg
1: I'm doing great you know what we gave out South Alabama for the New York Post on this Tuesday so feeling very good about that and it's been a great start to the college basketball season and boy is it good to have the fans back too that's just something that was missing last year it was good to just have basketball in general now it is fully back in full force.
2: Greg let's just dive into it for our audience here Coming into the season, you know, the season's about a week old here. Who is your maybe top four to five teams that you really think are going to go far in March?
1: Gonzaga is certainly the team that I want at power ranking number one. When it comes to, and I air quotes your final four picks, I never necessarily like that term just because I think so much of it is just due to matchups. You just have no idea who is going to be paired up against who. But when it comes to just an actual top five, obviously Gonzaga number one when it comes to my power rankings. And then from there, it becomes a little bit more of a hodgepodge. I wound up having at number two Kansas. That is with Jalen Wilson, who wound up being suspended for the first couple games of the season. But you know that he's going to be back. He's going to be able to give this team quite a bit of something and I haven't seen anything from Kansas to make me really stray away from that. I wound up having Texas and number three as well. I think that this is going to be a rock solid bunch that they're going to be able to really shine this season. They want taking their lumps against Gonzaga, but let's put it to you this way. There are worse losses out there than going to the kennel and losing to Gonzaga. There are many teams I could speak to that and then you wind up having Michigan and Villanova rounding out my top five with Michigan a very rock-solid team with Hunter Dickinson down low. They did a good job with regards to their backcourt, bringing in Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks, a little bit of a glue guy, and the Villanova. They did wind up taking that overtime loss to UCLA, but they were legitimately the better team in that contest until you wind up having that overtime session. You've got so much veteran leadership, and Colin Gillespie have a little bit of question mark with them down low. They seem to be missing Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but that was my top five heading into the season, and it's one of these cases, which even though Villanova and Texas wound up losing, I'm not here to make rash decisions. I'm not going to be all of a sudden putting UCLA at number two, like the A people wound up doing just because you don't want to be prisoner of the moment. You want to be continuing to gather information. And I made a couple adjustments when it came to UCLA, but at the same time, it's not one of those cases in which I'm going to bring them to where I wound up having them coming into the season at number seven and put them all the way at number two because of one win.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we saw last year UCLA got better as the season went on. So we saw Texas lose to Gonzaga early. Have we seen Texas as best yet? Well, these teams have had these heavy transfer influxes. How are you handicapping that? And like, when will we see them probably at peak? You think maybe conference time?
1: I think we'll see them at peak more around February and March. Also keep in mind, Dylan DeSue wound up missing that game against Gonzaga as well. When he winds up returning, guy that wound up averaging bright in the neighborhood about 17 points, nine rebounds and shot 36% from three as a six foot eight combo player at Vanderbilt. That's going to be able to help them out as well. But I do think that when it comes to Texas and just Chris Beard coach teams in general, you're going to be mm-hmm. seeing them more at their peak in February and March. If they wind up replaying this game several months down the line, I don't know if Texas will be able to pull it off all right against Gonzaga. I would still have Gonzaga as a better team, but that is something that is of mine. And when it comes to Texas, when they play against these drags, like, Houston Baptist, who they want to playing in their first game of the season. They're going to be playing against Northern Colorado. I'm going to be setting them as a heavy favorite because chemistry doesn't mean as much when it comes to those games. It's just all about rolling the ball out there. You've got the better athletes and they wind up dominating. But when it comes to them playing against another power conference team, if they were to play against Kansas tomorrow, I would have them as a little bit more of an underdog than I would in say February and March, just because of that chemistry factor.
2: Greg, you know, diving in, you know, you just hit your top team. So let's kind of go in the other direction. Who's some of your, like, maybe mid-majors or just your sleepers for the season?
1: St. Bonaventure is obviously a mid-major that I'm very high on. I feel like that has been the free space For everyone, they're not necessarily a secret anymore. But when it comes to some of these other mid-majors, it's a team that I wanted to mention a little bit earlier, South Alabama. They always get mispriced because they bring in a bunch of transfers, but they've got some solid coaching that knows how to be able to utilize these guys. And I think that that's a very important aspect to look at. Furman is a team that I was very high on coming into the season. I had they and Chattanooga towards the top of the SoCon, and we saw what Furman did. They went to overtime in Louisville they were able to get the outright win there. I think at some point we're going to see Colorado State in the top 25. I've got them as my best team out there in the Mountain West. They wound up playing against Oral Roberts to begin the year and put 109 points up on the board against Oral Roberts. And then you got Loyal Chicago as well. They do wind up losing Porter Mosier, but at the same time, Mr. Valentine who winds up coming in to be able to take over the program. He retains just about everyone minus Cameron Crutwig from last year. They bring in a pair of smart guys and Ryan Schwieger along with Chris Knight from the Ivy League. These guys are going to be able to help them out as well. So I take a look at some of those mid-majors and I think that they're going to be able to have good runs and are going to be playing in March.
0: Yeah, so I was looking at the Ken Palm here. I know it's early because this is the this- they use a lot of last season statistics, but I'm looking at the West Coast Conference. It gets a lot of flack, especially for Gonzaga. It comes up later. They've got four teams in the uh top 40 here.
1: Is San Francisco one of these teams that we can include as a sleeper as a mid-major,
0: or is this just a little high
1: right now? I want to see how San Francisco winds up doing during the conference portion of the season, because you may remember last season – During the non-conference part, they actually looked really good. They wound up having that win over Virginia in Bubbleville. They wound up looking very good there. They've got a pair of nice guards that I think are going to be able to do a good job in Khalil Shabazz along with Mr. Boye, Jamari Boye, but... What I need to see from this team is a little bit more down low. They're a team that they always seem to beat up on some of these really bad teams. But then when they wind up having the step up in competition, when it comes to the WCC, when they go up against St. Mary's, when they go up against Gonzaga, they just aren't able to hold up against them. So that's a little bit of an issue I have with them. I do think that they're very well coached under Todd Golden, but it's just one of these teams in which they're right now getting a little bit more of an incomplete from me until I see a little bit more from them. Greg, what conference wise, what is a
2: conference that you think from top to bottom that you could go in any night, maybe on a Tuesday night and go into maybe the the lowest team in the conference and still struggle what what overall what's your best conference from top to bottom.
1: I've got it as a big 12. Now Iowa state is the team that I wound up having dead last in that conference going into the year. And we saw Oregon state lose by 10 on the road against them. So it's one of these things in which you take a look at the big 12 and they've got legitimately three top 10 teams. I talked about Kansas and Texas, but we cannot forget about those national champion Baylor Bears, as well. They want being able to get a win and cover on Monday against Nichols. This is a team that they look locked and loaded once again. TCU is not going to be an easy out. They want a completely thumping Southern miss now. Southern Miss is not a good team, but they wanted winning that game by nearly 30 points, and a lot of people projected them. Eighth West Virginia wanted putting a hurting down on Pittsburgh. It granted a down Pittsburgh team, but you know that Bob Huggins, night in and night out, he's going to have his guys up. I wanted talking about Porter Morgier a little bit earlier. He is now over there at Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I think, is going to be no fun to play against whatsoever because I think that they're going to really slow things down. I think that they're going to be rock solid. Oklahoma State is a team that I look at. They bring in Musa Cisse from Memphis. They're a very well-coached team under Mike Boynton as well. Texas Tech brought in so many high-powered transfers themselves. So when you just take a look at the 10 teams in the Big 12, I would just say 1 through 10, they are the most stacked conference in all of college basketball.
0: no doubt. Is there more parity with the conferences this year? Like the SEC seems like they're up a little bit. The Big Ten's probably come back to the pack a little because I think their middle's fallen down a little. Is it probably more up for grabs than it's been, though? I agree the Big 12 is the best, but is it maybe more up for grabs because we have maybe more balance in some of these conferences?
1: I think outside of number one, there is because I would put the Big Ten at number two with the Big Ten. I think the Nebraska is going to be able to take some strides forward. Early returns on them, not good. You wind up losing on your home Florida, Western Illinois. It just feels like it's what nebraska does in football they do it in basketball i'm sure that they do it in like women's flat track roller derby as well it's just one of those things (laughs) with nebraska ever since they went to the big 10 it has not went well for them but i take a look at the big 10 in general i do think that top to bottom they're going to be relatively solid but then you take a look at the pac 12 why in the world was oregon projected by the media number four in that conference i have no idea but they have gotten so much better we saw how many teams want to making the sweet 16 from there. I actually think Oregon has a good chance to be able to win the Pac-12 regular season this year over UCLA. You've got a USC team that just went on the road. They took down Florida Gulf Coast. Sounds relatively easy, but being able to win true road games like USC is doing, I give them a lot of kudos for being able to do that. Washington State at some point, I think might be able to creep their way into the top 25. I think you just take a look at the ACC, and I have soured on this conference a lot. Virginia, they wind up losing to the United States Navy. Shout out to all of those veterans out there. They do absolutely terrific work. Virginia took it a step further in trying to reward our <laughs> veterans by giving Navy an outright win. But I mean, you love to see it if you're a fan of a mid-major league. But I take a look at Virginia, they're not what they once were. I actually do like what I'm seeing out of Virginia Tech, but Syracuse is on a team that I'm eye on you figure that they're going to be right there on the bubble going into the ACC tournament. They need to win two games to be able to get themselves off the bubble. They'll (laughs) win one game. They'll get in as a 10 or 11 seed, and then lo and behold, they'll be in the Sweet 16. It's just a cycle of life in college basketball. But even Louisville, a team that I'm not necessarily high on, it's just a conference that I think is really starting to decline. So I do feel like there is a lot more mixing and matching when it comes to the top conferences in college basketball. And I think that the Big 12 has really solidified them as that top conference from one through 10.
2: You know, there's a lot of coaching changes that happen every year. And I might see where you might go with your answer. I kind of already maybe has
1: have an idea here, but what coach that went to a new team was the game changer, you think? What I think it was, was obviously Chris Beard. I mean, just being able to get in there at (laughs) Texas, that is massive because, I mean, Texas wouldn't have been able to get in the guys without him, but I mean, even Chalk and Smart going to Marquette, he did a very good job with this program, bringing in some talent right away. We saw that on display. Now, granted, Illinois was without Kofi Coburn, but being able to get an outright win against a top 10 team in your third game in your regime, that gets a thumbs up from me and they're starting to play defense. Mr. Wojo, you need to take note of that, but it's (laughs) been really nice to be able to see that, but a guy that's a little bit more off the beaten path because we know about the big guys. About what Tim Miles is doing over there at San Jose State. I recognize that San Jose State wasn't able to pull off the outright win against Stanford, but they were scaring the bejesus out of Stanford. Tim Miles is someone that got Nebraska ranked in two consecutive years, something that he is the only coach to do in the last 24 years over there at Nebraska, got them to the NCAA tournament in all of his five years at Colorado State. Their win total wound up climbing in every last one of them I think that he's going to be able to do some good things over there at San Jose State and Fordham finally has a basketball team as Kyle Neptune wound up coming in after being an assistant at Villanova he's running a little bit more of an up-tempo style he's brought in some good guards in Darius Quinzenberry along with Antonio Day Jr they're leading that backcourt so I take a look at those coaches and I think that they really helped out their respective programs.
0: It's so funny you mentioned San Jose state and obviously scaring the heck out of Stanford is, is Stanford a team that's having some problems here. That's a really loaded talent wise. I've had two good recruiting classes in a row and three really kind of mediocre efforts to get the season started here. I know. Cause I've lost already a couple bets on them, but I mean, is that a, a is Jared Haas in trouble there?
1: Jared Ash should have been fired last year if you ask me, <laughs> but I mean, it just has not been going well for them. It's not even like he was that great at a UAB either. Not at all, he's no. come into Stanford and I don't know why they're holding on to him at this point. I mean, you mentioned it. He's done a good job of being able to hit the recruiting trail, being able to bring in the guys that they have. Harrison Ingram is someone that I really do like when it comes to him in the NBA. He's been able to put up some nice numbers here in his first few games. But, I mean, man, Stanford has been really dealing with it now, I will say. They wound up having to go through a lot with COVID-19 last year. They were actually playing on tennis courts in order to be able to practice college basketball outdoors due to local mandates, which that tells you just what sort of a calamity things were at this time last season. But I just take a look at Sanford and at some point you've got to deliver. You can bring up all the excuses that you want, but Jared has not been able to do anything at Stanford. So I've soured on him and I think that he should be canned by season's end. So I got you on the show.
2: I got to ask because
1: I do every time you've been
2: on our show and you've been on a couple of times. I got my Hoya shirt on tonight. What's your overall? It didn't. It wasn't good. Game one. I watched Dartmouth and the Ivy's a little. Hey, that's that's a sneaky conference. And you said on Twitter, which a couple of days ago, someone asked you about the Ivy and you said that's very tough to predict because they haven't really played. And, you know, Yale's been off to a pretty good start. Dark, uh, Brown took UNC, I think it was Friday night, really down to the wire. And then Dartmouth went in and played extremely well against Georgetown. But just what's your overall, I got to ask you about my Hoyas. What's your overall thoughts?
1: I think they're unfortunately going to be towards the bottom <laughs> of the Big East. It's just that they've lost so much. The loss of Kudis Wahab, I felt like was one of the bigger ones in all of college basketball. Just the heart and soul pieces from last year. They're gone and... Let's call it what it was. Patrick Ewing and his club was able to catch lightning in a bottle in New York in the Big East tournament. They were able to go into MSG. They wanted winning it outright, and then it got thumped in the NCAA tournament. I just think that they need to play some of these younger guys a little bit more. Ryan Matumbo coming off the bench doesn't really make a lot of sense to me at this point. They're going with a bunch of veterans that they don't necessarily have a lot of upside. This is a program that they need to realize, okay, this year is not necessarily going to be going so great for us, and really the Big East in general, because you take a look at the entire middle of the Big East, and it's just a whole bunch of blah. You've got Villanova, you've got UConn, and I do think that St. John's is going to be good this year. I give them some kudos, but that entire middle of the Big East. is just a little bit of a doormat at this point. So I take a look at Georgetown and I think that's going to be a little bit of a slog for them, but I really did like their recruiting class coming in. I think the big key is getting some of these young guys some minutes that way when they're sophomores and juniors, they're able to get Georgetown back to the promised land.
2: You know, that's, that's the one thing that's so hard. You know, you talked about the transfers leaving and like Waha, you know, played major minutes. I was shocked when he was, when he left. Because I was like, man, they have, finally have a decent recruiting class coming in. And it's not just Georgetown. It's a lot of these teams. that uh, Kids are getting major minutes. And there's a team that won the Big East tournament, got into the NCA tournament, young kids coming in, little bit of positivity in the program, and then he bolts. Why do you think that happens so much?
1: I think part of it is fit. You'll notice that a lot of these guys that enter into the transfer portal they wind up actually entering their name into the NBA draft too. They wind up probably getting a little bit of feedback being, and some of these guys might be like, hey, you should get yourself in a system where you're starting to jack up threes, even though you're seven foot three and weigh 300 pounds. And I'm just like, what are you doing? What made you great was grabbing rebounds and getting blocks. And now all of a sudden you've got Mr fleet of foot junior trying to shoot threes, and you're just like, what the heck is going on here? And they actually wind up wrecking themselves in the process, and I think that that's a big part of it. You get a bunch of people in these guys' heads that are like, yeah, you had a good year here, but if you wind up going, yeah, you're going to be so great. They didn't utilize you enough. So while you had a good situation at one school, they're looking to jump to a better situation, and typically it doesn't work.
0: So we touched on Louisville before. Are there other teams that are in trouble this year, like some brand name programs that might be people haven't kind of figured out yet that might be a little bit slipping a little bit? I watched Ohio State. Wasn't real impressed. I don't think they have enough scoring uh, to compete in the Big Ten, even though EJ Liddell is probably going to be player of the year, or at least one of the candidates. Is there any other teams that are kind of like good name teams that are probably in some bad shape this year?
1: Yeah, Louisville is really the main one for me that I have been quite sower on. I do take a look at the Big East in general, and I do think that a lot of this conference is going to be struggling. I did actually like what I saw out of Seton Hall, so I'm going to give them a little bit of kudos. But I take a look at Creighton, and I just have no idea what's going on with this team. They wound up scoring like 60 points against Kennesaw State. A few days ago, that was not something that you'd like to see. And then the Iowa Hawkeyes as well. Iowa was able to completely drub UMKC, who, by the way, they took down a program that's in a lot of trouble in Missouri. Losing to UMKC, if you're Missouri, that is just absolutely terrible. So there's one for you. But with Iowa, they just lost everything from my answer. You lose Luka Garza. You lose Joe Wieskamp. You lose C.J. Frederick. And now you have to try to rebuild on the fly. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a down year for them, along with a team that I know very well. I'm native of the state of Wisconsin. I think it's going to be a long year for the Wisconsin Badgers. They typically try to develop through their system. They are not in a position where they're able to do so. They're relying upon Brad Davidson in his 57th year of college basketball eligibility, and then a whole bunch of young guys. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a down year for them as well.
0: Are they going to be patient with guard just because of what happened last year with all the seniors and kind of like the stress that was in the locker room there at the end of the season? Or is he going to have time just because they've been so good? And He's going to have time.
1: If you know the state of Wisconsin, you know that Greg Gard is going to get all the leash that he needs to. I mean, folks out there in the state of Wisconsin, they're so focused on the fact that the Green Bay Packers are winning games. So (laughs) I mean, you got that going on, but Wisconsin is one of the more forgiving fan bases out there I would know because my sister is a graduate of there I wound up going to the D3 little bit of a feeder school in (laughs) UW-Oshkosh and I can tell you right now they're going to be quite a bit more forgiving at Wisconsin as they would at say a cutthroat blue blood school
2: Greg before we let you go you know you're gonna I'm gonna have you kind of tell our audience everything you're doing but one thing you do which is just fantastic and you started I think last year maybe two years ago is the spreadsheet every day that is just my go-to I mean every day I look at it I break down numbers
1: because can you just tell our audience a little bit about your spreadsheet yep it's pretty much where I go through every single game when it comes to college basketball I list these all in rotation order you'll notice when it comes to a lot of the sites that you use, a lot of books. This is the way that they wind up organizing their games. I wind up listing everything out and I wind up putting down what I think the line should be. This is not where I think it's gonna be moving to. This is not one of these cases in which I'm copying and pasting for Kempom or anything like that. I take all my knowledge, I look at everything on a game by game basis and I handicap what I think that specific game is gonna be. Obviously I've got a little bit of baseline numbers but I go through scheduling spots, who's going to be in slash out for that game. And I wind up shooting out a number, which is why sometimes you'll find my line. It'll be right on what the Vegas line is. And in those cases, like we saw with Houston versus Virginia, for instance, I wound up setting my total at 123. It opens up at 123, but then drops to 119. So that made me wind up playing the over, wound up not taking anything overnight. Meanwhile, we'll get some other cases like, for instance, South Alabama versus Alabama, line opens up 23 and a half. I did at 13. So, obviously, play with South Alabama there, whether you're getting 23, 22, 21, 20, 19, you're able to go down the line. But that's exactly what happens. And sometimes lines wind up moving right through my number. It'll happen from time to time. If it would have been in the case of, once again, that Houston versus Virginia game where the opening total of 123 goes up to 125, for instance, then I'd be taking a look at the under as well. So, it really allows people to. Be able to look at what I'd be playing with regards to their line. And it's really a cater to all system rather than, oh, I like this team at laying eight points. If it winds up coming out at 10 and a half in the morning, the difference between laying eight and laying 10 and a half can be very significant.
0: Absolutely. No, it's a great tool for finding value in the line, especially if you use a t- tool like Kempom, usually right on the Vegas lines. It doesn't really give, like, give you much idea what's going to go on.
1: They actually typically copy and paste from Kempom, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> Can you so one more thing
2: I just want to get and have you explain so you said it a lot today on Twitter before we let you go podcast is changing a little bit the name can you just kind of go into that
1: really fast. Yep, I started out my podcast actually independently back in the 2018 19 season under the name College Basketball Overtime Betting. It then became Hooping with Hoops. Now we have joined the Vicent family of podcasts. So it's nice. very exciting. And the Hooping with Hoops feed is going to be going away in a week. I'll be posting the link in every single podcast. I'll be posting it up on Twitter and everything like that. But now it is known as Coast to Coast Hoops. It's the same podcast. I'm just it's just really a name change and nothing else. I give you a picks and analysis every single game, every single day. When we don't wind up having like hundred games, I wind up having a guest on. We have to nix the guests when we wind up having game previews that will take like three hours long. So that way we're able to be a little bit more brief there, but I mean, it's just the exact same podcast. Only thing is a little bit of a new link, So You're going to be able to find it wherever you get your podcasts, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. It's just now, instead of being Google with Hoops, Coast to Coast Hoops under a little bit of a new feed.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, that's Greg Peterson. Thank you so much, Greg. We really appreciate you joining us,
1: and we'd love to have you back in the near future. Gentlemen, would love to join you once again. Always a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Thank you.
2: Well, J. like we said, I know that's our go-to. I, that's when I wake up in the morning and I have some time, I'm on that spreadsheet. I am looking at it. I'm jotting down some notes. I'm comparing it. And I'm trying to find the best number that I can. And Greg Peterson does that. How much do you use that?
0: Absolutely. No, that's the first thing I look at at Twitter every morning, too. It's the sheer volume of what Greg covers is amazing. I mean, you look at the NBA schedule, the NHL schedule um, even like the NFL schedule on weekends only, you know, in most 16 games, right. He's going through at times like the other night, there was like a hundred games on and he did a four hour podcast covering every single game. And he's knowledgeable. He knows these rosters better than the coaches do. It's, it's truly amazing. The guy's a master of his craft.
2: Well, here's the thing, you know, I, I think I'm a basketball guy. I mean, I've watched basketball and, but I'll tell you right now, I mean, the beginning of the season I've read, you know, I get the visa magazine. I studied a little bit of that. I, you know, got some magazines I'm going in, but I mean, when you have someone like Greg Peterson, that's doing a podcast like that, doing a spreadsheet, you know, we've said so many people now with all these States opening up and people can gamble, And people, you know, oh, college basketball, let's go. Well, here's the thing. the One of the problems people do is, oh, this team was really good. Well, that doesn't mean they're going to be good this year. So take this advice, take these people that are very knowledgeable, and he is the best in the game. And like, like we said at the beginning, to do a basketball show, we have to have, in our opinion, the man on. And he's the man. Listen to his podcast. Look at that spreadsheet, analyze, and he'll help you find those winners. Well, I think, you know, speaking about college football, everybody refers to Phil
0: Steele in his preview, right? And he's covering all those teams that in-depthly. That's only still 130 teams. Like Division One universe for college basketball, I think, is like 365 now. It's, it's incredible. It's three times as many teams. You have a 1,000 different transfers going on between schools. I mean, that's a lot to keep on top of. I mean – his is a great resource blue ribbon's a good resource uh v obviously a great resource too like with all these things i mean one thing with college basketball people always cite is that there's usually value because the lines have to happen so fast like teams will play on sun, saturday or sunday usually have another game right up on monday or tuesday you know the books don't really have a lot of time to digest this stuff so like you mentioned a lot of it's cut and page from ken palms work and you can see that in the lines if you compare the site to uh whatever your gambling site is so if you need an angle you're looking for somewhere where there's value his sheet is obviously great because it says, OK, I need to look at this game. Because Greg is looking at this, and he's seeing about a four-point difference. Why does he see a four-point difference? And it kind of is, you know, helps you cut through those huge slew of games to find a couple of games where you should really focus your attention to.
2: I know I use it, and it's helped me very much. I mean, it's like you said. There's so many games, and there's so many teams. you know. And the advice, too, is start slow. If you're diving into it this year, see what these teams can do. You know, you can do, again, teasers, you can do over-unders, you know, one of the guys we're gonna, we'll talk about him in a second for a show coming up, he kills college basketball, man, he loves his over, so find those teams that like to get those shots up. Yeah, and I think, you know, they always talk about don't bet your favorite teams, but I
0: would say for college basketball, you maybe don't bet your favorite team, but bet your favorite teams conference, you're probably going to know that league better than you know the rest of the teams like it just you know it helps because you also pick up too because teams change complexion so often during college basketball like the teams that we think are really strong right now and are world beaters you know so much can happen in december and january and by february we'll look at that team and we'll look at their like schedule for the year and say how did they ever beat them or like what happened that night and it's it's just a head scratcher especially i think you're going to see more of that too with all these transfers these teams have there's just not enough time to gel. These practice schedules are pretty tight. Like you mentioned, all the coach transition that occurs every single year, you've got brand new systems, brand new players, nobody knows anyone. Um, so it takes a while for them to get through. And I think that's why you see sometimes these mid majors really competitive early because they usually have that core that gets them through these games. Now they get picked apart too. I mean, there's been a lot of good opportunities for these guys to come from these smaller programs and play roles on bigger programs, which probably is a little unfair to the smaller teams, but It it does happen and you usually can fill in pieces. You saw Kentucky kind of went to the portal this year to find some shooting because they didn't have any. Um, Texas Tech, as uh, Greg mentioned, went there to backfill some guys that were gone. I mean, it's really useful. And with basketball, you know, it's just part of the game. You're always having guys come in and out. So it's a lot easier to integrate these players, uh, especially when they bring strength that your team didn't have.
2: So what we're gonna do with the show, like last year, we broke down a lot of basketball. We did a lot of Saturday morning shows, trying to break down the big card, cause that's usually the big day with a lot of games that you can find. And we're gonna try to continue to do that. We're gonna try to keep bringing on great guests like Greg Peterson. We're looking for some more basketball people to come on the show and break it down too. We're gonna to continue here with our football shows. We're gonna keep going after college football. We're gonna do NFL, like we're doing extremely well. So the plan this week is we have a great show um, Thursday. We're gonna break down the college football slate for the weekend. We have another special guest. We have our guy, Jake Ham. He's been on before, I'm not gonna say who it is, but I mean, I think some people know who it is. He loves picking fatties. We're going to have him on. He's going to try to help us out. He's going to give us his opinion. And we're going to have him uh, get on with us here in the college basketball season. Like I said, he loves the overs. So that's Thursday. Then we're going to rock out a show for the NFL card probably Saturday morning like we did to get it to you so you can analyze it and find those winners. Any closing comments, J.K.M. tonight?
0: No, this is a great guest. Uh, So knowledgeable. I think we could have thrown anything at him. I think we could ask him questions about the America East, like who's going to finish dead last. He would have gave us a breakdown of three different teams. He's just an amazing guy.
2: Yeah, it's you (laughs) can you can sit there, and I could sit around a you know a table with him and just question after question after question. And I mean, again, the knowledge that he has and how he can just rattle names, it's its amazing. So we've been very lucky. He's been on the show maybe up to four or five times now. we He also does a baseball podcast that is just unbelievable too. Very so if you're a Big eye into oh. Major League Baseball. Uh, he's another you know he's one that does that too so well that is it that is the show tonight like I said Thursday we're going to pick some fatties with our boy we're going to break down the college football slate for the weekend NFL show then will be out this weekend just remember people we're working harder so you don't have to sit back relax collect those winning tickets until next time we'll talk to you soon
1: Thanks for listening to the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and be sure to follow at Notebook Wagering. Until next time.